What's up, listeners? Welcome to Predator vs. Movies. I'm Alex. I'm Peter. I'm Aiden. Peter's back! Peter's oh my god, Peter's back! That's crazy. And this here is a podcast where we discuss and review the latest movie releases. We're going to start off with a non-spoiler review before diving into a deep discussion of the film. Then we're going to ask the most important question. Would this movie be better if the alien from Predator was in it? This week we're going to be reviewing uh, Wes Anderson's latest film, Asteroid City. Uh, But before we get into that, we have some news. First news, I am sick. Uh, and I sound weird, so there's your heads up. That, that's why you the accent. Yes, I'm sick. As you can tell, my voice sounds a little bit different today. So if you're uh, really sick, you'll do it the whole time. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. That's... <laughs> uh, no, I will not. I will lose it immediately. First news. Um, I'm still doing it. It's going to just trail in and out. Um, Donald, Donald Glover is going to be in the community movie. Six seasons in a movie, and he's back on the team. Because for a while, he Let's wasn't. Go. Do we think uh, this movie's going to be good? That's a question. No. You don't? I, uh, I don't know what to think, honestly. I I wonder, like... I don't know what the premise is going to be, but I I could see them doing something fun. I bet I don't know. you... What do you guys here's, think? here's my bet, is that mm. Abed knows that it's a movie... And he's like directing a community movie based on their experiences in sure. the community college. That's my guess, and it's going to be very no, meta. That can make sense. Yeah, I, I do think, think as long I think, as uh, sorry, go ahead. Take your. I turns. was just going to say, yeah, I think I think Abed knowing it's a community, knowing it's a movie, and recognizing it's a movie is that is like a given. Like no matter what, that's yeah. going to be part of it. I just hope they uh, they respect the what what happened in the TV show because like. Technically, Troy left, you know, in a in a place where he went to do his own thing. So I hope they give him a good reason to come back. You know, love Troy though. Well, there was, was amazing. There was mm-hmm. a time limit on it too. Was, wasn't he just like sailing the world for like two years? So he could just be back. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I I, I think it's fun though. I love the <laughs> ensemble of con- community. I think uh, yeah, yeah. brilliant. Like out of all the sitcoms I've seen, probably my favorite. It's a good Dude, show. That's it's definitely up there for me. Yeah. yeah. Has there ever been a good? Can you guys name a good TV show movie? And I've already thought of one that I haven't seen, but I'm sure the Twin Peaks fans are gonna say they're Firewalk. Oh with yeah, movies. I was. I love Firewalk with me. I, I, yeah, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But I. That's a that is a polarizing movie. I understand. That's not. It's not a, his mm, most well reviewed movie, but I that is potentially. Probably not, but I was gonna say it's potentially my favorite David Lynch film. But it's it's probably not, but wow. it's actually up there. I I love that movie. Cool. I thought uh, you were gonna say put... uh, El Camino, Alex, because of Breaking Bad. Oh, that is no, you're right. Okay, there's more than I thought. El Camino wasn't bad. There's I don't. There's also the really Doctor Who movie. What happened? Well, I mean, the every Doctor, Doctor Who special is sort of like a movie. So no, but like, I mean yeah. the. The like the one whichever one was before Christopher Eccleston, he was just in a movie and that was it. He would oh, didn't really? have a season or anything. Oh yeah. really? Mm, didn't see yeah. that one. So that like the eighth Doctor or whatever it is. Did not know. Interesting. That. Yeah. I can't think of any other TV show movies. Oh, there was there was the um, the one about the this is the Simpsons. Saints of the Saints of New York. I did see that movie as a kid. Yeah. I saw the Simpsons movie Spider Pig. It's big yeah. stuff. 
on the <laughs> playground. People love that shit. Spider Pig. They did love that shit. Um, what's the Saints of Newark one? The The Sopranos. That was the Sopranos movie that came oh, way yeah, yeah. later. Um, but yeah, I guess hit or miss, it seems. The other big news is uh, the DC Universe is getting some casting news. So um, I think it's David Corrin's Sweat or something is going to be playing... Hopefully it's not Corn Sweat, is playing <laughs> Superman. Uh, you may recognize yeah. him from Pearl. He was yep. movie guy or from uh, some other things. He's not a huge some name, other stuff. but he yeah. will be. It's funny. When I saw his name, I was like, oh, man, another British guy. He's not <laughs> yeah. British. That's just his name. <laughs> He's American. Yeah, he just. Um, he also kind of has the demeanor of a British guy too. He looks that could so just because he looks like Henry Cavill, so that might yeah. be the reason that he just looks like him. But that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah. but I don't and know. Then, yeah, I'm I'm excited that it's not like a super big name person, and uh, I I don't know. I don't know how much to think about this. I I mean I'm cool with it. I don't love. I don't necessarily love when a huge star becomes a superhero. I think it's just as cool if. Someone who's under the radar. Some of the best superheroes we have are people who weren't huge celebrities that Absolutely. became more yeah. famous because yeah. of it. Um, and then also I should mention, our uh, uh, his, his romantic lead was also cast, Rachel Brosnahan, I believe, is oh, yeah. playing yeah. Lois Lane, and she's from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I need to watch that show. People like that. And, um, the, and the show um, The Golden Arm from uh that failed that what? one squib squibby or whatever it is what the fuck was oh, that one? Nice. like Quibi. failed Quibi? app yeah quibby that's what it is not, that's not crazy. squibby <laughs> yeah she wasn't that too <laughs> very nice but honestly i feel um, like um if you if we look back on like the dc casting stuff like they often cast like big name actors for batman but i feel like superman is like one of the roles where they can actually you know get a little more creative cast some more uh i guess more uh indie type actors compared to the, the popular <laughs> ones like rob pattinson uh sure, sure. christian bale ben affleck you know sure who would you guys so nicholas holt famously was up for both the new batman and the new superman and lost to both what who would you cast him as in the dc universe well, I did see that he was potentially shortlisted as Lex Luthor. Yeah, as well. yeah, he, he um, did. and I don't know. I think he could he could do a good job of that. I think that he kind of has. I feel like I've seen him play bad rich guy <laughs> multiple times. But the and thing so, is, I, I feel like like we've only seen him to play like the goofy guy. You know what I mean? Sure. Like in the menu yeah, yeah. in uh, in uh, the great. The great. Yeah. Um, like goofy like, loser a lot of the time yeah, yeah. kind of like, like really that is annoying. literally just gonna be like another jesse eisenberg clone as lex Luthor. yeah i feel like i feel like they will realize that they can't do that <laughs> i feel like they, <laughs> they will take the criticism to heart on that one mm. okay okay i think yeah and also they were talking about doing apex lex or that was a rumor which is supposedly like a very strong lex um or one who is I don't know if it's a different universe or something, but it's Lex Luthor who is also super strong. Weird mm-hmm. stuff. I don't. I don't know what that's about, but I could see Nicholas Holt. This is this is something I saw on Twitter and I thought was so funny. Is someone suggested that he should be playing people like like Killer Moth, and I just found that so funny. <laughs> what? Like that's so random. The, Z, 
Like the Z tier Batman villain. <laughs> That's so funny to play Killer Moth. I actually want. <laughs> like, did you guys ever play the Lego Batman games? No. Yeah. I always found Killer Moth so funny, and I was like, man, Killer Moth would be awesome. He he could kill that role. Um, maybe kill also that like. Moth. Yeah, he would. Maybe like Hugo Strange would be another good one, like a Batman villain. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah like that, a, that's it's like the Doctor guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely like a loser guy though. Who's uh, who's Hugo Strange? Right? Yeah, definitely some kind of like fucking dork. Like that's how that's yeah, what I yeah. see for sure. That's why I feel so bad about Nicholas Holt. Like just on Twitter, everyone's like, Man, he needs to play like the slimiest little nerd fucker and it's just like man, it sucks to be him right now. Um <laughs> Play to your strengths, I guess. Um Hugo Strange is a scientist who in certain canon of the Batman lore is like involved in some of the creation of the monsters or something. He makes monsters mm. basically. Mm. He was in Gotham. Usually, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. He's usually associated with Arkham Asylum. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if he created any of like the famous Batman villains, but like in in the Gotham show he did. But I'm sure they changed that. Anyways, that's probably enough for news. Trailer Park. Vroom, vroom, vroom. I forgot. Ah, I like short circuited. I forgot what it was. I forgot, <laughs> dude. Whatever. We're um, there. The gates have been unlocked. We're in the park. We have one trailer this week. Um, the Cohen brother, whose name? Fuck. One second. Ethan. The Cohen. Ethan Cohen. Is it? It is. It is Ethan Cohen. The, yep. the Ethan Cohen of the Cohen brothers uh, has made his own movie separate from his brother, following his brother's footsteps joel who did yep. uh, the mackers the macbeth movie i'm not in a theater i could say it movie by himself now now ethan's doing one by himself and he's doing a really quirky lesbian uh car chase across america road trip uh gangster comedy thing it looks fun yeah it looks super fun i i will be there i'll say that i nice. will be there in theater watching that one and it's got uh, Margaret Qualley and the person who's Beanie name... Feldstein's in it. Oh, she's in it, yeah. And Pedro Pascal's in it. And yep. uh, Matt Damon's, Matt Damon's in, it. in it too, right? Matt Damon uh, is in it, yeah. Someone yeah. who I've seen around but has not, have not like remembered her name yet, Geraldine Viswanathan. Um, I've seen her in Things Around, just around town, you know? But yeah. around the town that is LA, I suppose. Um, yeah. But so she was in Bad Education and a bunch of movies I haven't seen. I guess I've seen her in trailers and stuff. Anyways, doesn't matter. Um, she's in this, and she was also in a trailer for the Beanie Babies movie. Did you see that one with Zach Galifianakis? I guess that's not. another trailer. Is that, that was, yet another movie about guy who made product? Yes, oh yes, God. I didn't know this. It's another one added to the list. So I guess that's another trailer probably I just saw. Uh, it's an Apple movie. So they actually, Apple has two because they did Tetris as well. And it's oh, yeah. Zach Galifianakis who shaved maybe for the first time oh, in his I entire saw it. life. I saw the poster, yeah, yeah. Cursed, cursed image. <laughs> and um, our, our favorite, um, chaotic... Um, Elizabeth Banks, I believe, is the other. <laughs> other <laughs> <character>. <laughs> uh, what is she directing Geraldine, though? Because it's 
It's um, only chaotic if she directed it, though. I honestly have no idea what the movie is called. Beanie Baby. Because there's only so much chaos you can inject just by uh, sure. directing it's, it. It's called The yeah. Beanie Bubble, and it is not directed by her. It's directed by Kristen Gore and Damien Kulash. And yes, it, so it starts... So I'm still not done with the main cast. Zach Galifianakis, Elizabeth Banks, Geraldine Viswanathan, and Sarah Snook from Succession. Chivroy from Succession is also in it. Uh, it looks weird, and I probably will not like it. But uh, that came out. That trailer came out this week. Um, but uh, I think that's enough for our preamble. We watched a movie this week, did we not, Aiden? We we sure did, and it's called Asteroid City, and it was directed and written by the man known as Wes Anderson. And we got a hell of a cast going on here. <laughs> so it's starring, Jason, just to name a few, I won't go through the whole list, just to name a few, Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Adrian Brody, Liev Schraber, Hope Davis, Stephen Park, I'm already halfway through, I'll do the whole thing, Rupert Friend, Maya Hawke, Stephen Carell, Matt Dillon, Hong Chow, Willem Dafoe, wait, she was, when was she in it? Uh, Margot uh, Robbie, Tony Overlord, Jake Ryan, Jeff Goldblum, no, Hong Chow. Oh, she was the uh, the wife she of was Adrian the, Brody. Oh, okay. That's yeah, getting yeah. a divorce. Oh, that's a spoiler. Oops. <laughs> oh, oops. <laughs> Cinematography by Robert Yauman. Uh, edited by Barney Pilling. We don't usually do that, but I added it in any way. Um, it was released... It was released uh, uh, May 23rd uh, at Cannes, but then got a general U.S. release June 16th. Run too much. 105 too minutes. much information. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> just going to be 20 minutes. You're, you're just prolonging. You're just prolonging. You guys are prolonging. <laughs> I'm going. Running time was 105 minutes. Coming in, uh, that's a pretty tight runtime. But it was 25 mil, and as of now, it has made 18.3 million. Hell yeah! Let's go. Very nice. Now, before we talk about this movie, we have to play a game. This game is uh, called Predacritic, uh, and you don't get to know the rules, I guess. <laughs> somebody can play. No, you no, get to nobody know the gets rules. the rules. No. No. So we, this, this is the game where we try, to, we try to guess the Metacritic score of the movie. Whoever comes closest wins. Hell yeah. <laughs> we can, you can do it if you want. It's just a suggestion. No. Dude, Ada's taking over this Just go play the freaking game. We're just go play the game. I'm clicking okay. the spin button on the okay. freaking wheel. Spin and Okay, spin I and go spin. first. Okay. Um, yeah, just a bad day for you. 85. 85. Nice. Solid. Ooh. Oh, we can actually play the game properly because there's three of us. Yeah. It's not just yeah. the over-under thing. Okay. Yeah. Dude, Peter's I feel like the two-people uh, Metacritic thing is so scary because, like, you either win or you lose. There's no in-between. Peter, it's yeah. your turn. Uh, I think it's a solid 80%. Hmm. Interesting. Dude, don't now, you dare do play, play the it? game, bro. Do I play it safe or Don't. do I go with my gut? My gut is actually that it's lower than both of your guesses. Yeah, yeah, but do yeah. I? I can, I can see. That. Do I? Do I do that or do I play the game? Hell yeah! I think you that win is the if question. you do that. To be honest, you go low. <laughs> uh, mind games. You're playing some mind games. You know what? I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna be bold. Seventy nine. Bro, that's not that's even bold. that, dude. That's bold. Oh my god. Why would I okay. guess anything lower than that? Well, as Matt Damon likes to say uh, in those crypto commercials, fortune favors the bold. 
Uh, and it is, Let's in fact, go. a 74. So I lose. Dude, I told you. I told you. Go low. I, I was you, too hasty. Uh, but uh, as the winner I will of say th- the game. Hmm? That's low for me. That's low for me. We'll get into it, but yeah. Okay. As the winner of the <laughs> game that shall not be explained, um, in, I'm the game no was explained. That's not what no tomfoolery <laughs> for me this time. I'm a serious man, uh, directed okay. by both of the Coen brothers. Um, you get Aiden gets to give the non-spoiler reaction first. Go I ahead, sure do, champ. Uh, I liked this movie a lot. I realize that I've seen very few Wes Anderson films, and it's actually been a long time since I've seen one. I think the last time I saw one was when Isle of Dogs came out in theaters, and I think that was the that was one of the only other ones I've seen. I think I've seen that Fantastic Mr. Fox and this, and I don't think I've seen any of the other ones. Now That's that I, if really I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, not even Grand Budapest. Um, I've not seen Grand Budapest Hotel. That's, That's crazy. crazy. Um, but yeah, I, I very much appreciate this style. I think it's really interesting how it's, the characters don't motivate the camera movement. The camera movement motivates the characters, the camera, mm. or not, not just the movement, the camera motivates the characters, like the camera determines blocking and, and all of that. I think it, for, for the most part, I, w- I would say at least. And I think that like the intricacy is like top notch here. There's so much detail. There's so much to appreciate here. I love the blocking uh, a lot of the time. Like, even just on static shots, just the way characters are stacked up in frame, I think is awesome. I think it works really well to have this style that provides some emotional distance from the characters, um, from the story. You know, like, we're not invited into their perspective, and so we don't, in a sense, we don't get to empathize with them in the same way, but I, I think that this it's actually really effective in this movie. Um yeah, I will say I really like the writing. Uh, I think it works really well. It's, like, very sweet and a little sentimental at times without being overbearing, I think, and also being withholding at the right times and being a little, like, there's sometimes where maybe it gives a little bit away and then other times where it's a little more reserved, and I actually, I think it balances it out really well to make a really nice product. Uh, I I think there's a lot to think about. I, I immediately wanted to watch this movie again. I honestly don't have that many complaints other than like there there may be some bits that are maybe a bit long or maybe they don't maybe that's not the right descriptor but there may be some bits that don't feel quite as conjoined in but like I I really can point at any much specific I think this movie is very funny too when it's trying to be uh, and I would give this four and a half stars really liked it and very I would recommend nice. it yeah. very nice uh, Peter, as the second closest winner, you get to go next. What did you think about this movie? Okay, so before I get into the movie, quick shout out to uh, to my local local uh, local okay. cinema. It's my first indie yeah. cinema, uh, nice. and it was just such a lovely experience. You know, it's, uh, the the theater is pretty small, the pre show is pretty short, and the uh, tickets pretty cheap. The the vibe is. Just immaculate. It was amazing. Sorry, are you but, shouting out without actually saying its name? So you just well, dox himself. Yeah, we can, right? I thought it's not allowed. <laughs> I think that's you what know a shout who out you is, are. Yeah, like, right, right. like you're not well, shouting anything out. You're just describing <laughs> something vague. That's not what a shout out is. Dude, support your local cinemas. There you go. Yeah. How's that? that. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyways, um, about the movie though, 
I've always been a fan of Wes Anderson. Uh, I've seen many of his movies. Um, French Dispatch, Rash, uh, Rushmore, um, Rashomon, Grand Budapest. What's that? Yeah, <laughs> Rashomon. <laughs> Rashomon. I do, dude. dude. <laughs> yeah, this AI, right this now. AI just showed us what it would look like if Wes Anderson did Rashomon. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, um, where was I? French <laughs> Dispatch, Rushmore, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, and out. Uh, not Isle of Dogs. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom and uh, what's the last one? I was oh, I've seen that. Too. I've seen Moonrise Kingdom actually too. Fantastic yes. Mr. Fox. So so I've seen quite yeah. a bit of Wes's film and always been a huge admirer of his style and the way, you know, just like everything is very, very structured and uh, the blocking's always done uh, with purpose. So I, I, I just, I, I'm, I love Wes Anderson in that regard. And uh, I think this movie is another one of, his just like it's exactly what you expect from Wes Anderson and he absolutely delivers I don't think this movie is as high for me like it didn't peak as high compared to something like Moonrise Kingdom or Grand Budapest but it's definitely got everything that you love from Wes Anderson there like it's a great story like Aiden said I really love the way Aiden described it it's like it gives you emotional moments but it was never overbearing about it it's like it's just like it brushes over some like really key moments sometimes and but like at the moment you're like oh this is just like it's like it's funny in the moment ha 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 but then you you think about it afterwards and it's like oh that's actually a really deep moment and i really love that from wes um again beautifully shot the cast is great but but yeah like i really enjoyed the film it was um it's a four out of five for me and i would recommend everyone to see it uh, and it and of course, very, very funny, like Aiden said. It's a hilarious film. Very nice. Yeah. Um, my turn. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, as of today, and I'll, the, I'll get into this later, I've now seen the entire Wes Anderson film filmography. I haven't seen his short films, but um, I've seen every single one of his movies. And this is probably one of my favorites. Uh there might be a bit of recency bias going on there, but uh, I really, really like this one. Part of it is aesthetics. I like the uh, the fifties aesthetic going on here, which is funny because usually that's not something I'm super drawn to. So that was interesting, and I love the color palette, um, the kind of like midwestern. And I don't really want to get into spoiler territory, but um, space related stuff is very interesting to me, and I, I found that particularly resonant. It's funny, uh, great cast, um, and also like most Wes Anderson films, deep melancholy under the surface. Uh, and I think that is done particularly well here. Um, and I really liked the how he played with structure, which he's uh, been kind of playing around with more and more recently. And I think this was a nice, this was like the French Dispatch, which I liked a lot, but with a kind of more clear central narrative as well. So it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds, I'd say. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, I gave it a four and a half. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was great, and uh, I would definitely recommend this. Uh, now, unfortunately, I lost that little game we play, uh, so now I have to summarize this movie, and I have two minutes to do so. Uh, pew, 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 spoilers. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. It's, now we're going to spoil this thing. Uh, so here I go. So this movie is actually a play 
then there's two kind of narratives going on at the same time. It's the production, um, like the behind the scenes of the play being made, and it cuts in between that, which is in black and white, and the, the world of the play, which is in color and set in this place called Asteroid City. Jason Schwartzman, uh, has, his, his wife died three weeks ago, and he hasn't told his kids. He tells his kids, one of whom is a junior astronomer, and he, they've come to this small town to do like a competition with a bunch of junior astronomers who made cool gadgets. Um, and then eventually an alien comes and takes a meteorite that was made the town famous. Um, and then they're under quarantine because the alien came. Uh, and then what even the fuck happens? They're in quarantine for a while. The kids send a message out of town to like their high school newspaper and break the news that aliens have come. Um, seven days later, which is how long the quarantine has to last. Um, the quarantine is about to be undone when the alien comes back and <laughs> puts back the meteorite and then leaves again. Uh, panic ensues and Jason Schwartzman leaves, um, the crater into the real world. So he breaks the, the fourth wall, I suppose, and is now in the world of the play in the real world. And he's concerned that he doesn't understand the meaning of the play. And he goes, talks to Margot Robbie, who play, who was going to play his wife in the movie and is in the picture of his wife, but was eventually cut from the play. And they say some words. And then I guess he goes back. And then he and Tom Hanks, who is his dead wife's dad, and the kids, his three daughters as well, they all go back to Tom Hanks' place and the end. Also, Jason Schwartzman has a thing with uh, Black Widow, whatever her name is. <laughs> Dude, you're just going to cut Edward Norton out of this movie, eh? Look, I had two minutes, <laughs> I'm kidding, and a I'm lot kidding, happens. I think I did a decent job. Uh, but yeah, Edward Norton wrote the play. You happy? Is that what you wanted to hear? <laughs> That's pretty much. good. Uh, anything crucial I missed? Uh, I think any gaps we can fill in as we go. Fair enough. Okay, uh, you know what time is. We actually haven't done this segment in quite some time because I keep forgetting to put it down. Guys, what was your favorite part? <laughs> Let's hear from Ooh. Peter first. Sure. I have so many. So I'm going to start one. with a short and sweet one. So one. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll start with the short and sweet one and then we'll do our rounds, you know, do the thing. Um, Thank you. Actually, one of my favorite moments <laughs> from the movie is actually when the movie opened. Uh, we we open uh, 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 from like a like a train going through yeah. this this random town, and then as you go through, you see different uh, compartments of the train, and then one of them is literally a nuclear bomb, and it says "Do not detonate." President's orders, and I immediately like that cracked me up, and it, and thankfully there were people in the theater laughing with me. I thought it, I thought I'll be the only one laughing, but that was hilarious. I actually, I actually really love that opening too. Um, just like like the music was such a great choice of song too, like the freight train song. I love that song now. Um, and yeah, it was it was so cute. It was like it was very clearly a model train at times, but also I think yeah. like a full size train because there were dudes on it. And then I just like reading what they were transporting, like avocados, pe- pecans or pecans, almonds tractors 50s cars all sorts of stuff i I thought 
I really like that segment. I was like smiling. I was beaming in the, the theater, being like, "Yeah, this is, this is cinema, baby." So, great, yeah. great part. No, I think um I think like there there yeah there are specific shots that are a model specifically. I think like the bird's eye overhead one is mm-hmm. um is mo- model, and I think that the reason for that is probably budgetary. Like if you don't have much of a budget, it's not easy to get that shot. Like if you don't have like mm-hmm. a huge crane or something like. A, I don't, I don't admit, like, I'm just spitballing that I think, like, any shot that they just couldn't get in person, that's probably what they did. Um, were, were you going to say, Peter? And I think, honestly, like, a model shot fits Wes Anderson's style more. Oh, than, for like, sure. A, you know, yeah. like, a real shot. Because I feel like Wes Anderson, like, even though, like, I feel like a lot of uh, Wes Anderson is similar to Nolan in the sense, like, he doesn't really use CGI much. Like, he uses mm-hmm. real world a lot more. But, like, Nolan is supposed to transport you to the real world like you can see this happening in the real world but Wes Anderson transports you to a different world where it's more fantastical so it's almost um, do by doing it with models it's almost uh, uh, makes conveying that message a lot easier in my opinion it also I think it's also like a world that there are always films that are very aware of their construction I think um, and are very like often like point to the fact that they're that this is a film that has been produced. This is a story that has been, these are characters who have been set in place. Like, and I I think that, I think you see that in like the blocking. And I think you see that in like the writing and the directing of the directing of actors, the way they deliver lines. Um, And I think that's especially at the forefront of this movie. And so I think like that's, which is why I think that like his style is such a good mesh for the narrative and themes of, of what's going on here. Cause I think a lot of the theme of this movie has to do with the construction of narratives and stories and what that means for us as people. Mm. Uh, Aiden, what would you say was your favorite part yeah. of this here movie? <laughs> um, I wish I could remember exactly what the line was, but I guess this is a whole part. And I, lo- I, there's this line that I love so, so much. And it's when Jason Schwartz, Jason Schwartzman comes off of the play and he is talking to Edward Norton and he's asking, like, I don't understand. I don't understand why my character burns his hand on the girl. Like, why did he do that? And it, we, it's talked about earlier. Um, and Edward Norton is talking about, like, he doesn't know either. And there's this one line where I forget exactly what I said, but something along the lines of, like, I don't know how the play is going to go, but I, like, keep telling it anyway. And I think, yeah. like, that's... I can help you with what the yeah. line was. Because um, I, I did just watch it. A few hours ago, um, it was he, he. Jason Schwartzman says, "I still don't understand the play, and it's not it's not um, Edward Norton anymore. It's Adrian Brody, who's the director." And he oh says, right, yes, yeah. And he says, "It doesn't matter if you don't understand the play; just keep telling the story." Yeah, yeah. No, and it's I, I think that, that's great. It's not that complicated. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. I know, but I think like. I think that that's very great, and I think that, again, speaks to a lot of the themes going on here. And then I also, he goes outside, and he talks to Margot Robbie right after that, um, who would have, who does play his wife in the in the play, but, like, she had a scene cut. And they they do this thing where Margot Robbie, Margot Robbie's character says all of the lines because Jason, Jason Schwartzman doesn't remember it. Um, and that whole interaction is great, like, on, on multiple levels. Like, I... I saw this movie so recently and I don't I don't have an exact like meaning for everything mapped out in my head, but I love the relationship that it draws between um, narrative and the stories we tell and real life and how those are 
not so separable necessarily. Like I, there's a just even a little detail of Jason Schwartzman's character says instead of saying you were the actress that played my wife, he says you were the wife that played my actress, and that's yeah. like, that's awesome. Oh, he said yeah. that. That's so funny. Yeah, like that's a great detail. And then I love the end of that interaction too, where they're talking about this dream within the play where Jason Schwartzman has the Jason Schwartzman has a dream and he takes a pic. He's on the moon with the alien and he takes a picture of his wife and they talk about like, Oh, will it come out? Like, will the picture turn out? Cause it's on film. Um, and he's like, yeah, my pictures always turn out. And I think that's a, that's another great line too. Sorry. What are you going to say, Alex? No, I was just, I'm just going to agree with you. Like that scene yeah. almost brought me to tears and well, I'll talk more about the other Wes Anderson films in which have kind of like brought emotion out of me. But this on the second time, I was just like, like that, that particular part where she's reassuring him in that kind of like, in a way without being straightforward about it. And um, so, so just remind me, the line is, um, he's, he's worried, he's concerned that like, I don't, I don't know if it's going to work out. And she says, she reminds him of what he always says. So, so it's it's connecting what the character in the play does with yeah. his life as an actor, I guess. So the actor is concerned. Yeah. Actor Jason Schwartzman, sorry, not actor Jason Schwartzman, actor in the movie played by Jason Schwartzman <laughs> is concerned that he doesn't know what he's doing. He's he's saying that he doesn't understand the meaning of the play, but I think it's a it's a wider problem. He's He's concerned that he's not doing it right, and he says that. He, he feels he's doing something wrong, and he's just wrapped with insecurity. And he gets reassurement. Reassurement? I don't know if that's right. From Margot Robbie by using what the character in the play says, which is he's, he's afraid things aren't going to go well, things aren't going to turn out, but his character always says his pictures always turn out. Everything's just going to be just fine. He knows what he's doing. And it's just it's just such a beautiful moment. And then, you know, you could also read that on a meta level of like Wes Anderson, like being maybe concerned about is everything going to or is this picture as in like a synonym for a movie? Is this picture going to work out? I think could be mm. extrapolated from that. But yeah, I, I totally agree. Great scene. Yeah. And I like w- within what you're saying, what I love is that like how one of the things I love about this movie is the way it's exploring this like dialectical relationship between real life and I'll say narrative in general, because I think like, I think like a picture contains a narrative, a play contains a narrative, a movie contains a narrative. So I'll just say narrative in general. And so like the way in which like an actor certainly is affecting the play, like we see that Jason Schwartzman comes in and he's perfect for the role and he like, he brings his own thing to it, but then the play also affects the life as well and it's this way that like it's it's not a one-way relationship between people and society and the texts we produce there's also there's a bit of a a two-way street going on there which i think is and i think the way the movie plays with that is really interesting and there's a great line with the adrian brody part of that kind of sequence where he says like he's he's, again he's also reassuring this uh, actor character and he says don't worry. Um, uh, the character became you, which I think is really interesting. Usually yeah. it's the actor becomes the character and it's no, no, no. The character that was written became you. And just kind of like, what does that mean? 
they've kind of like I don't know like he brought something to the role and then the character molded itself to who he was you know he came to the table with his own personality and parts of himself and that's what it's it's like to bring a character to life in film or in the the theater which are you know very similar it's it's like you can't have one without the other you need the actor to bring the the words to life it's like the two parents and the child synthesis antithesis sure thesis antithesis synthesis well i'm going really heady on this one um anything (laughs) else you want to say about this scene ignore peter no, I, I could dive into some other stuff that I want to talk about, but I'll, I'll save that for later. It does relate to the scene, but I'll save it for later. Cool. Okay, I, I can share one of my favorite scenes. Um, the part where that kid, Dwight, just made me laugh so hard, one of my <laughs> Hawks school children, when he starts yeah. singing his alien song. God, that was <laughs> the funniest fucking thing. It was yeah. the Spaceman, Spaceman something. But just like... Like the way, so first he rises up from the picnic table, like like he just like he's yeah. teleported to the other side, and he just rises up and he's super seriously singing this like twangy song, and the 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 rhymes are funny. Uh, he's like came up from heaven, almost six foot yeah. seven, and then the <laughs> fact like these these gruff kind of. Um, folk singers are backing him up like full sincerity, yeah. full seriousness, and uh, and then my heart starts like, dancing to it as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. The tone quickly changes to just like yeah. like it seems very ominous at the start, and then it's like never mind. Got your partner, da, 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 da. <laughs> and then yeah, Maya Hawk dances with um, Montana. I love the Montana character too. Maya mm. Hawk and Montana might be one of my favorite. Two characters, even though their part is so small, I just found my hawk so charming in this, and yeah. I love Montana as well. Was also very charming. I loved his um his Canadian tuxedo. It's I, I like yeah. I'm I'm like man, he pulls it off. I would I hope I could pull that off one day. I love to wear <laughs> a Canadian tuxedo. Um, and there's a great moment in that scene as well where there's kind of like. What's that movie where they say there's an unspoken thing? Oh, it's Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like the unspoken oh, yeah. thing between Maya Hawk and uh, Montana. And there's a moment where they're dancing around, and then I think they come close to the camera. Like, the blocking takes them close to the camera, and they hold for a moment, and they're just looking into each other's eyes, and then they keep dancing away. And it's just like this moment yeah. of <gasps> pure, of, of like, like, it looks like they're about to kiss, but they don't. And it's the subtlety. And I don't think... Do they ever kiss in this movie? I don't think they do. No, they don't. Think so. and it's like it's this young romance. I just loved it. It was great. And and that speaks to like one of the things that I love about this movie overall is that like the like per, like perfect execution pretty much of like the Wes Anderson style and like the pacing and the blocking working so well in every single scene. Like I think like, the timing just felt perfect in every shot in order to notice this thing and this thing. And the way your eye is led through the frame exactly when it's supposed to be. And the way that mm-hmm. works with cutting as well. Like I, th- like, I think on a technical level, this is such a superb film. And I think one of the things I loved as well is that I think it's also using, like, 
older editing language. Like, I, th- I think that there's, like, there's certain styles of editing that I was like, oh, I don't think I've, like, seen... This This feels older to me. Like, and I, I think an example is there are multiple times where it cuts from... It cuts from a shot to a panning shot, and it cuts into the panning shot kind of, like, mid-pan. And that's, like... It's it's like this specific feeling that creates that's kind of like that feels very handmade in a way, and I, I think that the editing overall has that handmade feel, and I I think maybe that's what I'm talking about, and I think it works very well here. Interesting that you mentioned the editing because I wasn't gonna bring it up, but I did notice it this movie mostly because the way they cut into the same shot like without yes. changing angle but only changing distance, which is usually jarring. I don't know if that's considered a jump cut because usually the time in this, at least the way they use it in this movie, time I don't believe is cut, but they'll cut from just like within the same shot. So they'll suddenly jump closer or suddenly jump wider. And I just found that so fascinating because it's not something movies usually do these days. And it it totally works. It looked great. Yeah. Um, I think maybe uh, what I'm talking about is that it, it's editing that is intentionally calling attention to itself, uh, and which again like factors into the whole yeah. thing. Um, and yeah, I, I really liked it. I think it's done well. It's hard. It, you can uh, do that in a way that is bad, but I think this it was done well here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, does anyone have any other favorite parts that they're dying to share before we get into some other stuff? Peter, okay. Pete, yes, yeah, so I have one. One is so, okay. Great. I think this this one's this one's really great. Um, so we have the bunch of genius kids, right? Uh, teenagers who are just uh-huh. really smart, d- don't really fit in anywhere. They obviously like we can tell from the get go that they all they all have their personal struggles uh, because you know they're too smart, they can't fit in, etc. And then the kid who keeps daring people is like, I dare you to do, I dare, uh, I uh, I dare you to wait. Is it like I dare you? I, Whatever. He's, 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 a, he's a dare kid. And then yeah. usually this kid is kid. <laughs> this, this kid is used yeah. for like comic relief most of the time. It's like, uh, I dare you to uh, let me jump off the building or something like that. But yeah. then there's this like really touching scene where it's like, it's just him, his dad, and Steve Carell just randomly in, in that shot. And it's just talking about some like really, tr- uh, like, you know, really deep emotional stuff. It's like, I only dare people because like, I feel insecure. Like I want to have this attention on me, etc., etc. And then, so like, which is like a really, you know, like really like character, like a big character moment and very emotional. And then Wes Anderson in typical Wes Anderson fashion brushes it off. It's like, I dare you to uh, let me clap that. Uh, what is it? What was it? The uh, cactus. The cactus. Exactly. Yeah. And he <laughs> fucking does it. Um, and they're like, I no, and they're like, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he does it anyways. Um, but I just, I really love like the mix between emotion and comedy. Like, like there was never a time where you feel, oh, this is like too funny. There isn't enough emotion in there, or like this is getting too emotional. I thought this was supposed to be a comedy. You know, this balance that he's able to struck between these two and how one can counteract the other is just so brilliant. Like that scene, I loved it. Yeah, no, that scene was great. Some of the other dares he does is like, I dare you to, I dare, didn't know, no, he's always asking them to dare him. So he says, dare me yeah, to, yeah. I think he, the verb he uses is tweak. Dare me to tweak this hot chili pepper. Dare me to jump off this bungalow. Dare me to push this button. And then, <laughs> I like that one too. And Leif Schreiber's like, yeah. I'm going to break like, your I'm neck gonna if you t- do it. <laughs> and then I love it. 
I love the payoff of that where it, pa- it like we truck to the yeah. next part and then we see him run into frame. And then he's like, oh. <laughs> like, he's like, like, I told you not to do that. <laughs> and then there's a similar gag earlier when he eats the pepper and then he comes in and he starts drinking from the water in the next, oh thing, that next scene. Yeah. yeah, that kid is so funny. And for this scene in particular, though, I um, I found it interesting that while I was watching it the first time, I found it. I was almost like, man, why are you, why are you saying it? You know, I have this problem sometimes where where characters just say what they're thinking or like what they're feeling, and mm-hmm. it's too like you're just telling me, and I'm, and I sometimes find that I'm like, ah, could you have found a more subtle way to say that? And so what the kid says, they're like, why do you always dare, you know, dare us to dare you, whatever, and he says, um, I'm worried that um, no one will uh, notice my existence in the universe. And he says it like that. That's why I'm saying it weird. Um, and it's it, it gets kind of sad. And they're all like, oh, that's that sucks. And and he's like, Lee Schreiber kind of relents. He's like, okay, okay, kid, what, what, what do you want? And then he's like, dare me to climb this cactus and it's the perfect button to that scene undercutting the whole thing and it it paid it off so i was like okay the the full-on sincerity is then like peter said brushed away brushed off undercut by the punchline just like a of like textbook like well-written comedic scene see what i actually like about that scene is that i don't feel like the emotional moment is undercut by the joke and what I mean by that is that I don't feel like the joke does not invalidate the sincerity. And what I like right. is that no, the the punchline of the joke is that like he it's not that he has to climb it, it's that they say no. Like they immediately shoot him down yeah. despite the thing that happens. But that's not coming from a place of denying that urge to be seen and this existential sort of angst he's and cosmic angst he's feeling. It has to do with the the care that is established in that scene. Steve Carell and Lee Schreiber have come from a place of not like brushing this kid aside and not caring what he has to say to like really empathizing with them and sympathizing with this kid towards the end. And so when they tell him, no, you can't climb it, it's coming from a genuine place of care, but then it's delivered comedically. And so the, the joke is set up and paid off really well. But I, I like that the emotions of the scene aren't undercut. Mm. No, no, I, I absolutely I agree, agree with that. you. And I think Wes Anderson does this so often and he does it so well. Like, um, which is just, like there are many moments in this movie where like I think uh, between Jason Schwartzman and Tom Hanks, Jason Schwartzman and uh, and Scarlett Johansson, there are lots of moments where heavy, heavy themes were discussed. But then it's always like these scenes always end with a lighthearted joke or it gets interrupted by something that's pretty goofy and funny. But like you said, in like I don't ever feel like the emotion is undercut, but almost like because of the contrast, I feel the emotion even more in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure. like he does it in other in his other films too, like in uh, Grand Budapest, for example. Like at the very end, it's like a very very sad monologue, but like delivered in such a calm fashion. Oh, sorry, I'm not gonna get his photos, Aiden. So like, but like sure. there's there's a monologue at the end that's kind of sad, but it's delivered in such a calm fashion that you don't feel like it's full impact until a bit later, and that delay oftentimes allows people to give time for the emotion to sink in so you, you feel the emotion even more so love him this is great yeah <laughs> cool um i will say what's interesting is 
this the scene that we've picked out is I think speaks to a larger theme in this movie, which is the generation gap um, between the adults and the kids. There's a lot of kids in this movie, and I think that's on purpose. Um, there seems to be a thing where these adults have been through quite a lot of trauma. Uh, Jason Schwartzman just lost his wife, and he's a war photographer. Um, Scarlett Johansson, that's her name. I don't know why I couldn't remember it. Um, is Talks about how she's had a just a terrible past with... Um, what's the word she uses? Something something men. Uh, evil evil it was, men. We'll it was her ex-husband, ex right? Yes, but no. She says, like, just abusive men. She's had a, mm. a history of... And, and within her own family, before she got married a few times. Oh, right, um, right, right. Yeah, yes. The... Um, who is who plays Commissioner Gordon? What's his name? Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wright's Wright, character Jeffrey Wright. yeah. talks about the trauma trauma of um, growing up in kind of like the early what is it twentieth century and the the Great War. How his dad came back in a in a box because he died, and then there's another war. So these these people who lived through several wars and just kind of a tougher time and have kind of all become these kind of like repressed adults and i think leave schreiber is an example of that who's just kind of like he's just angry all the time and these <laughs> kids who are so full of wonder and they're looking out into space and these 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 kids who feel like they don't fit in and the adults don't understand them and like the other other kids don't understand them um and i don't know i don't know if i have like an answer to this i just i'm just pointing out just like there's something going on there and i find it really interesting and I think also the fact that Maya Hawk is has a as a group of school children I think is part of that as well. Um yeah, I don't know. Do you guys see any yeah kind of message in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just a quick addition to that. And I find it like the way you describe it is so interesting because uh, out of all the adults, one adult stands out to me, which is uh, Tilda Swindon's character. She's like the only one of these adults that like at least like we didn't really um we didn't really get any information about her past or trauma i think she she like she didn't fit in or something maybe but like she's like she still has the childhood innocence that the kids yeah. have which is i guess one of the reasons why she got along with the kids so well and uh you know she calls uh one of the theories she's trying to prove celestial flirtation um she's uh it's like <laughs> yeah, uh it's like i got I got what like nipples burned into my eyes because like she looked at two stars who look like nipples. That, so, that... No, not nipples. It's ellipses, like the dot dot dot. That's called an ellipse. No, when uh, when when she was talking to uh, Jason Schwartzman. No, dude, it's son. not nipples. It's never. No, been I'm nipples. I'm certain. No, I'm I not being weird. I swear. No, yo, I swear to God, she said nipples. Dude, you're just wrong. No, dude, okay, I, Alex, yo... let it, Alex, let him give the specific <laughs> example, and then you can respond. Oh my God, they, they were in they were in the communication tent alone, and then they were like, uh, like basically, like she's offering him. It's like, yo, if you want to come back, I'm always here to mentor you and shit like that. And then, and then they talked about like some weird like stuff that they've seen like in the in the sky. And she talked about like uh, she saw like two nipples. Uh, sorry, she saw two stars that looked like nipples. Oh my god! No! Okay, let's just move on. No, it's ellipses. <laughs> okay, the cut, Peter. The cutaway. Oh my god! The cutaway is no, on like her and we eyes. saw it too, right? And like there was like a like a short it's cut. It's called of, like a, a. It's called an ellipses. Okay, the cutaway. 
in that scene is of her eyeballs, yeah, and the yeah, back yeah. of her eyeballs have the dot 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 burned into her retinas. Those oh. are her eyes, and in her eyes are the dot 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 three dots is an ellipses. Okay, okay, okay. Because it's cause always I thought been when you said ellipses, you were mentioning the scene in the middle when the alien first landed. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also an ellipses. It's it's the same thing. Those are the same thing, Peter. We got an awkward pause going on. Someone talk. Oh, damn. Can you hear oh, him, maybe? Are we, are we good? Yeah, I can yeah, hear you I now. Hear I fixed my stuff. Okay. Go. Uh, I have a couple things to say. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, based on the kids thing, I forget who says it, but there is a line where... God, I wish I could remember. It's during a speech. One of the characters says, like, it sucks that you were born now. Like, or something like that. Like, unlucky that you were born now. And it's, I think it might be Tilda Swinton's character who says it at the nope. end of, of her I, speech. I thought it was Jeffrey Wright's speech. Oh, okay. oh, maybe you're right. I don't know. I don't know. I forget. They have a, They have two speeches that are kind of, that are literally shot the same way. And so that's, mm-hmm. I think that's why I'm confusing him. Um, yeah. but yeah, uh, so what I think is interesting, I think you're right. I think there is something there. And I also think it's interesting about, I think a lot of this movie is like, how do we make sense of ourselves and like, what are the things we turn to and how do we define ourselves? And I really like that there are multiple times where it alludes to, oh, children are like aliens. Like it calls Jason Schwartzman's character. It calls his kids aliens and they call him that. Um, and I think that, uh, there's another line where, they're like, yeah, kids are like really bizarre, and it's like they really are. Like they're weird. They're weird little guys. Um, and I really like this definition of adulthood in opposition to childhood, which is not necessarily innately true. That's not that's not a dichotomous inherently. Um, and so I, I I also don't necessarily know exactly where to get what to get from that, but I there's a general theme of this movie of the way that we have we've constructed a reality that makes sense of our position in within like a social fabric. And we've identified ourselves against various things. So I think that the universe is one of them. I think that narrative and story is one of the things that stories are one of the things that we identify against ourselves and each other. I think these are all things that we, we, we use to try to make sense of who we are in the grander context. And I think we can talk about this more, but one of the things I really liked about this movie is I think it's asking what happens when those things break down and we're forced to reevaluate. Like what happens when we mm-hmm. see an alien and that changes our mind about that changes our understanding of the cosmos. What happens when we don't know where our stories are going, even if we wrote them, what happens if kids are actually the ones that take action and they're the ones that, that subvert the power of the military. How do we define ourselves and who are we? Sorry, that was a long rant, but Alex, what are you? <laughs> Alex, what are you? I don't know. I don't know anymore. Um, no, it's interesting you say that. I've just, I'll, I'll comment on that before getting into something else. But um, I've been reading this book about anxiety, and there's this thing where when, when your core beliefs are attacked, that's when mass anxiety happens. And so th- an example the book brings up is like, mass unemployment so the one that pops into my mind is the great depression when those systems you rely on kind of break down that's when everyone starts feeling anxious so for most recently for us covid i think was that and Mm -hmm. it is interesting that maybe this is 
a byproduct of COVID, maybe this movie, in that, like, yeah, this the very systems you believe in, now you're not so sure anymore. And there's all this, like, uncertainty. And that's and I think yeah. that bleeds into Jason Schwartzman's character. Um, but to tie into something someone had mentioned earlier, Sorry, kids I are really aliens. Can I jump in on a little detail of that? Sorry, yeah. And I, what I love about what an ellipsis means is it's an indefinite end. And it implies Mm. that we don't necessarily know what's coming next. And so the idea that her, her childhood curiosity made her look up and now she has the, the promise of the unknown seared into her. I think like that's, that's a great like image. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. Uh, but the kids, the kids are aliens. I have to talk about it. Um, yeah. I lo- again, that's that lovely scene with Margot Robbie, where she says, um, one of them says, "I think he's shy." I think it's Margot Robbie. Well, the whole scene is her lines, but um, she says, "I think he's shy," referring to the alien. And then she says, "Like, like Woodrow," and that's when I yeah. was like, "Oh, I get it." Would like that's what that's what this is all about. Woodrow is the alien. Kids, yeah, the kids are aliens, and I mean the littlest kids. The three, those three girls are adorable, by the way. Um, oh, every yeah. single they were also very every funny. single one of their the, lines. One of the so funniest fun. jokes. One of the jokes that I laughed the hardest. I was right near the beginning when they're all like talking over each other, and then the other one, yeah. the waiters like. Are you guys princesses? And they're like, no, I'm this. Blah, blah, blah. The two of them are talking, and then the third one comes and like, I'm a fairy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The yeah, first two were like, we're yeah. witches or some shit, right? Yeah. No, one of the, one of them says, I'm a witch. The next one says, I'm a mummy, and it's like a long, long like <laughs> monologue about the type of mummy, and like came back to life with no head, and then yeah, the last one's a fairy. Yeah. Um, but they also say like we're aliens, but that's after the yeah. alien comes. And I've heard that this is like Wes's. This movie is Wes's response to being a parent. And I think that couldn't be clearer in that, like, he's trying to understand children and, like, there are these weird aliens that I'll never understand. Um, And, yeah. um, And it's like every... The the more he learns, like... the The more he goes on with the process, the more he learns, like, the less he... he, he, The less he realizes he knows... And that's, like, similar mm-hmm. to, like, the theme of, like, just space exploration in general. I think, like, I, I love how they tie that to the idea of, like, writing and how, like, I've definitely written things where I'm like, I don't know what this means, but this is the right thing. And it seems like the right thing. I don't know why this happens. And I love, the, I, I love like, that whole tie-in as well. This idea of, like, not ever really understanding, like, the mysteries that are inherent around us. Yeah, no, the, the bit about... It's the question that they they keep asking is why does Augie burn his hand on the quickie grill? And I just love that it's yeah. always they're always referring it to as the quickie grill. Um, it's that specificity of language that, that I always find so fascinating in writing. But um, anyways, the point was uh, Jason Schwartzman's character asks the writer something Erp um, why why he does it, and even Erp doesn't know. He just says. Um, he just did it. It happened. And Schwartzman tries to come up with a reason. He says, oh, he's trying to create a reason for why his heart was beating so fast. And, but that doesn't seem to satisfy him because towards the end of the play, he's lost it again. He, he doesn't know why it's happened. And I think, I think you can certainly 
put a reason to it, and I think we should talk about it uh, eventually. But I, I, I honestly like the idea that like the writer, the writer has no clue, and it just he was just telling the story, and that's kind of like what the director reaffirms is that it doesn't matter what it means ultimately. It's are you being truthful to the characters? Are the characters true? And for what for Erp, it was just what the character ended up doing. It took a life of its own. And in the play, the the script is um, the Bible, I suppose. Like you know, like it's it's you just you just follow it, and that's the story, and you're just servicing the story above all. And it's kind of like I guess you can just extrapolate that to life in general. Um, and I think that's kind of why there is that meta ness to the narrative in that life has no meaning there is you know you can ask all these questions why do people do that but why do things happen but humans aren't rational all the time humans love rational and they love answers um but humans act the fact of the matter is humans act irrationally most of the time and it's it's just life life happens and there's not necessarily meaning and yeah i think i think that's what the movie's trying to tell us so yeah that's end of end yeah. of speech. Yeah, and I think like as much as we try to assign meaning to things and and create this sort of reality in doing so, like a, a reality that we actually live in, um, there are always things that we can't control, and there are always going to be gaps in the narratives we spin. And I think that like contending with that and going through life when it doesn't go to plan and how that relate, the, yeah, and like you were saying, the way that relates to they thought, they relate that to the process of writing and the production of art and the exploration of the universe and yeah yeah um this talking about this and you know we'll get more into it but it's it's kind of reaffirmed something i thought about this movie which is i think this might be wes anderson's most like heady film that ever maybe like the one that has the most subtextual layers to it that you have to discuss and you have to draw out and talk about. I'm just like, I've, I I have seen all of his filmography and I, I honestly think that that might be the case where there's meaning behind everything. And I mean, not to say that his other films don't, but I, and I think that's part of why I like this one so much in that so much is not straightforward and there's, it's asking a lot of questions. It wouldn't be a Wes Anderson without a stellar <laughs> ensemble. Uh, let's talk about it. Who are some of your favorite members of this ensemble? That was brutal. Mm. Peter? Okay, I'll start with the funniest. <laughs> I'll start with the funniest. <laughs> I could just pass it off, but also said it's so funny. Peter? Um, my Let's personal go. favorite, probably Adrian Brody. He's good. He's I think, amazing. like, I think they're all great, but, like, he's the one person that stood out to me, you know? Like, he's just effortlessly charming. Um, I need to watch more Adrian Brody film. I think, like, you know, I've only seen him from Wes Anderson, I think, and I'd watch more of his films. And, like, him doing, like, the airboxing stuff, even though, like, the, there's, a, like, a proper boxing thing right next to it. It's like, what the fuck is going on? So funny. And then the way he interacts with uh, his... His wife, who, who apparently they're getting a divorce, uh, is hilarious. 
and also it's just like his sort of like like you like we don't really like he doesn't really talk about his dedication to the art but then like from his actions and then the 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 context of some of the things he says like you can just clearly tell like he's very devoted he literally lives in the theater uh stuff like that uh i think it's just like overall very charming charismatic character uh that i really like uh, yeah, I, I have another one that I really like, uh, and I, I don't know why I didn't think of this immediately, because he's, like, the main guy, but Jason Schwartzman, I think, is really, really incredible in this movie. I really like Jason had me, like, ho- He had me hooked from the very beginning here. I think that he is doing such a good job of doing that subdued Wes Anderson style, but, like, I, I think there's actually a lot of, like, visceral emotion behind every line he gives, like especially in the beginning when he's talking to his kids and he's telling them about telling them about the fact that their mom's dead like like I was like there with I like I cried during that scene and that's that was like not far into the movie like we were we were barely into it and I was already like oh man and you guys know me I'm not I'm not the biggest movie crier in the world but this movie got me a couple times and <laughs> more often than not it was Jason Schwartzman Jason Schwartzman is uh, a real Wes Anderson MVP um it's interesting. He was discovered by Wes Anderson, I believe, with Rushmore, mm. which is like a crazy. It's it's actually become one of my favorite Wes Andersons. I've realized, um, and he's also one of the three leads of the Darjeeling Limited, and so those two plus this one make kind of like a a very very loose trilogy of Jason Schwartzman in the lead. And it's interesting how he's like grown from kid to. Darjeeling he was late 20s but still kind of like so young adult and in that one it's about the father who's died and now he's the father and it's just like watching watching my little boy grow up except he's much older than me um, mm. I agree though he's, he's great he's also very good in certain animated movies where he has spots um, yeah, but, I wonder which one. <laughs> yeah, so many people are in, like, so many like, like the same have people more than are in one movie. Yeah, the crossovers yeah. are insane. Margot Robbie crossover. Yeah. Who else? There was someone else who was like, oh, he's in <laughs> crossover. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny way to characterize it. <laughs> yeah, um, for me, some of uh, who do I really like in this? Um, I had someone in mind. Well, as I already mentioned, I like Maya Hawk in Montana. Yep. The three kids are just gems, yeah. all of them. I like those guys. ScarJo, I, I think, think uh, surprised me. I'll, yeah, I'll she's start great. with that one. ScarJo, I was like pleasantly surprised because she's not someone that I like seek out for in movies. I think mm. probably the Marvel movies didn't help her case. Um, I think and also her in every kind of like, like real movie of hers that I've seen, I thought I thought she's very good. At. Every time it's like a She's real movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, Bill. No, not Bill Murray. Fake Bill Murray. Tom Hanks playing Thomas. what was clearly the Bill Murray role. Tom Hanks is good. So surprising that this is his first Wes Anderson, though. Yeah, he, he seems like he'd fit right in there. That guy. Same with the uh, Brian Cranston, actually. Like, like the yeah, way he narrates he just like feels so at home with uh, Wes Anderson. Yeah. Did you have another one, Peter? You had your hand raised. Um, I was going to talk more about Jason Schwartzman, but I do have another one, I think. Uh, I really oh, well, love yeah. uh, Mr. Brainiac. Brainiac is yeah, just yeah. Like, a kid. Like, yeah, like, he's awesome. 
you know like how like this sort of awkward uh, nerdy kid uh, stereotype like it's been it's been like overplayed in in Paul his name is culture, Jake Ryan you know but but like I think the way he delivers it is just so charming and then like realistic at the same time that I'm just like instantly you know like um, this character is amazing and I love this kid you know yeah, I I really love the way he walks. Like the actor does a really good job of like walking and posture mm-hmm. within the character. Like he does yeah. this like this like kind of stiff like and almost like he's like always ready and he's always like peering as if he's always like he's always examining and you can see it in his body language and the way he's walking and I yeah, I th- I actually think he's like for, especially for a young actor, I think he's adding a lot of characterization and a lot of little details and I'm sure that's with with a lot of direction from Wes Anderson, as I'm sure he gives every actor, but I, I don't think that's not fair to discount the actor himself, who actually I think is doing a great job with it. That kid, Jake Ryan, is actually a Wes Anderson grad. He's been in two of his oh. other movies. He was in... Do you guys want to guess, actually? This is fun. Mm. Just Which ones have kids? Moonrise Kingdom? Correct. But oh, he would have yeah, been much sense. younger, like a little kid. And... Is it Fantastic Mr. Fox? Does he do a voice? No, nope. it would have been way. No, too I feel like it will be a later one. French Dispatch, maybe. No, no. Um, I don't know. I don't know them well enough. Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs. He was also. Oh, so I was on the right track. Let's yeah, you were. Track. He was also in Uncut Gems, Inside Lewin oh. Davis by the the Oh Coen yeah, Brothers, yeah, yeah. And yeah. in Eighth Grade by Bo Burnham. Like just oh, like yeah, crazy yeah, yeah. No, I knew in, I'd seen him all Anyways, some of the other ones I forgot. Uh, actors in the ensemble. Steve Carell. Is this also his first oh, yeah. Wes Anderson? Because like, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Just blew me away. He was. I think Steve Carell's a great actor. Effortlessly yeah. funny. Just like yeah. as soon as he came on screen, and he wasn't even like, like you know how you can go too goofy. He didn't do that. He was just like. Being his kind of, like, quirky, charming self. And that, like, sold me instantly. I was like, oh, I love this guy. And Leave Schreiber. I don't know when I started oh, yeah, noticing yeah. Leave, yeah. but I really like Leave. And just kind of, like, picking him out in certain things. Um, I've, I've grown an appreciation for Leave over the years. And Jeffrey Wright. I mean, come on. Jeffrey oh, yeah, yeah. Wright. Love that guy. Dude, he's um, awesome. The Wes Anderson yeah. aesthetic. Oh, sorry. You're gonna say something? No, I was gonna say I, I literally I, I don't think there's any cast member that is uh that is uh, a weak a weak link in the chain here. Absolutely I agree. not. I think they all agree. Oh yo crazy shout oh, yeah. out to uh to to Jeff Goldblum who plays the alien. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when he yeah. takes the mask off, it's just Jeff Goldblum. That was, funny. <laughs> that was so funny. I was that a, was a really good bet. And it really yeah. this the the time I watched it today was not a packed theater um but the first time it was it was busy enough got a good laugh that first time um Wes Anderson is also known very well for his aesthetic um and has been copied quite a bit with uh AI unfortunately anyways seeing it for real though seeing the real deal again after not that long we only had to wait two years for another Wes uh since French Dispatch but just like Blows those computer-generated bullshit out of the water, like like an Oppenheimer creation would blow up. Um, 
other things. The world. Uh, anyways, Whoa! That was, that was terrible. Um, eyes. <laughs> just like, like, yeah, it's, I love, I actually really, really like Wes Anderson's aesthetic. I, I've never been a big Wes head. That was kind of Peter's thing. But I, I definitely have grown to really appreciate his style. And I think the way he makes the American West look, literally look like a postcard for this movie specifically, just like eye candy, I guess, is the best way I could put it. Just the colors pop so well. And it's a a side of the American West that I've never seen because usually it's like super harsh and, you know, you got the piss filter going on. This was just like vibrant colors and like blues and pinks it was just truly it was like pastel kind of tones yeah yeah no i really liked it i i will say i think that building on the postcard thing i am like 90 percent sure that the backgrounds are in fact like painted backgrounds yes like most of the time in this movie it looks like that which i think is great and i think i my i think and i don't know this I think they're actually outside filming it, and I think they're actually, like, in a desert, yes. but that they have also erected these walls that have paintings of the background on them. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. crazy. It's actually, like, like, a lot of the, the rocks, rock formation in the background are actually, like, real props. Um, oh, yeah. And they did film outdoor as well. So uh, the behind-the-scenes look in all Wes Anderson films are just all so intriguing. Like... Yeah. The, the way he combines models with real life and uh, how he makes them seem realistic but also fantastical at the same time is just amazing. And it's inspiring, to, like as a filmmaker to watch it too. Like it's inspiring to see like like what the 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 extent of how like you can push the medium and like how you can make so much out of so little. And I hey, think sorry, Peter, like, I you off. Wes Anderson is probably like the only person in this space, or am I just like not versed enough in movies? Because I feel like no other popular filmmakers I know do sort of like this style of, uh, you know, this sort of like poster postcard, um, like symmetry aesthetic thing going on, you know? Like, I feel like Wes Anderson is the only one in this field. Well, I think not, definitely not in the same way because it, it extends beyond, like, it, it extends beyond framing and it extends mm. beyond, like, blocking as well. It's, it's... Yeah set design it's it's costume design it's uh directing in terms of like how a character is carrying themselves like that's super important like the oh the, like stiffness yeah, yeah. of a character's shoulders is like essential it's the color it's like the lighting like it's it's like a million things that are going into making this style authentic which is that like so uh, yeah i don't i don't think anyone has ever i i'm sure like there are tons of filmmakers that like pay close attention to symmetry and pay close attention to um, like staggering and blocking like like mm-hmm. spacing like that's that's a common yeah. thing and it's also not it's not like he invented the concept of like like more of a neutral camera that kind of controls the characters more than the characters control it but yeah i i do think it's unique considering the expanse of it all yeah i would say that i agree wes anderson no one doesn't like wes anderson he's developed the style over the years and it's actually funny looking at his previous films and watching it in order develop from like Bottle Rocket, you can see this first one is has elements. You can see kind of the trucking shots. I think maybe there's a few of them where someone's running. It's trucking mm-hmm. uh, parallel um, and some other stuff. But really, it's not it's not there. But already Rushmore's is second, and it's like 
already super Wes Anderson, and then it only gets more and more and more. And I think what's su- like really interesting about Wes Anderson is this kind of thing. Someone mentioned this on Twitter, and it's the idea that the the way he films these things are kind of detached and mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's an objective camera it's not it doesn't try to evoke the emotions of the characters it just it's um i guess objective is the best way to describe it in that it's it's not trying to force the emotions it just shows them as they are i suppose yeah, it just like presents them as facts almost yeah it's an, well, it yeah, it's an it, emotionless camera it does it doesn't invite us into the character's perspective, and I think that's what's yeah. Really, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I, I I don't see a lot of filmmakers doing that. And then you know the the more obvious surface level things that are more what the AI are copying is you know definitely not as popular as I guess the norm. Um, yeah, interesting discussion on that though. Um, here's something we can talk about: uh, the score. The score is something that I don't always pick up on, but this one I really, really liked. Um, it's very nice and very cute. Yeah, the <laughs> the, cute. the piano, dun, 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 whatever that bit yeah. is, I love that. And whenever it's like associated with space and just kind of like that, like that felt like wonder is kind of the emotion yeah. I got from that, and like like. Just how music can do that is so crazy to me. But so like first, there's this one scene. It's the scene with the alien, and it's before the alien arrives. We start with the piano, and it's like you feel like something's coming, and then when the alien arrives, we start doing homages to Close Encounters, or or at least maybe that's just me picking up on that. But the the music changes, and we introduce horn, like brass specifically, like like lower brass, maybe trombone or um, uh, tuba, and which is what sure. the had what Spielberg had used for aliens uh, in Close Encounters. And then, so that part I really like. And then it changes again when the alien is like in full view and we're watching him and he's picking up the thing. And it's like these sad strings, I think. And... And it's like like a really like sincere moment, despite the fact that you know most people are laughing at the scene, and it's <laughs> just like like how he switches yeah. between different types of scoring. I was I was like, wow, that was really incredible. Yeah, I don't, no, I don't like too much I, to say I either. Agree other with you. I, I, yeah. I think uh, cool. and, the the music really enhances the experience because like like the shots are already beautiful. Like when, like especially the alien shot they're referring at, it's a shot where the, the it's sort of like a bird's eye view of all the people lifting up their observation boxes and looking up, and then just like you know you get a sense of wonder from the picture, and then like you said, the music gives you a sense of wonder as well, and these two compounded on top of like you know like the entire thing being lit up in green, just like gives you really a um, gives you a feeling that you are part of that you know like even though like we say it's shining objective lenses but like this is one of the moments where the audience sort of invited in to participate as part of the experience that's uh, super great yeah and what i will say i about the piano part as well i like that i think it's mixing for me it feels like a mix of like wonder and also simplicity and i think those two things kind of come together to create this sense of like 
this great wide universe and we're just a small thing within it we're just we're just little guys here on earth and in the scope of of Mm -hmm. infinity and i think that that's and we all we can do is be in awe and wonder of it and i think i'm for the listeners i'm looking at my ceiling as i say that (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah that's that's what i i that's what i like about scorecard but yeah also that scene i just realized like no i'm talking the idea that like like that they have to take the boxes off their head feels very symbolic just this is not about scorecard but just like and I mean, maybe this ties into the the later thing, the line that they start chanting at the end. You can't wake up till, till you you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. We'll talk don't about fall that later. Asleep. I think, yeah, yeah, but um, I feel like that's part of it. You know, the kind of like the veil has been lifted from your eyes, right? You're seeing things fully and with your own eyes instead of through the box. Um, and I think it's it's interesting that Tilda Swinton's character, who seems the most connected to the children, witnessed that event with her own eyes and not using the box. Uh, almost mm-hmm. like maybe adulthood is trying to put your head in a box. Oh, damn! I'm coming I up like with that. this on the fly. I like Peter. That. What were you gonna say? I just wanted to. I just want to say that scene is so funny. By the way, like the oh, alien yeah. fucking goes down and, and like really slowly. Like first you just see his legs and then slowly climbs down. And then it's like, oh, you guys are all looking at me? Don't mind me. He <laughs> just like, picks up the meteorite and just goes back to his yeah. spaceship. That scene was so funny. Great creature design. The eyes are just so funny. Just like, yeah, like super wide eyes. <laughs> but when, when he poses with the rock for the, the picture, that's great. Um, oh, yes. He did do that. Yeah, that was funny. He goes, Bing. <laughs> yeah. just holds it up a little closer to his face. Very funny. Um... I will say one thing that I remembered, score-wise, also, very heavy score use in the Margot scene, the Margot Robbie scene, and I think that's also really helps with the emotions of that scene. Um, mm-hmm. Here's something I could talk about. Um, the photographs Augie takes. I realize every time he has photographs developed hanging up, there's always two, and I'm wondering if, there's, if that's supposed to be drawing connections between the two photographs. And so the first time I realized there were similarities was the second set and it was because it's the alien and Marge doing the exact same pose of like mm. one leg in front of the other both of them have been like caught in the act of grabbing something mm. the first one yeah. is the atomic bomb test and Marge uh, Marge Matt Midge what's her name no idea. Yeah, I can look at this, Mitch. M- Mitch, eating the waffle. Last one, the final one is the car with the wheels taken off, and self-portrait with shrapnel. So there's the, obviously the the um, the similarities between the the alien posing and and Midge. I'm wondering if the atomic bomb is like. Like the similarities with that one and her eating the waffle is like it changed his life like an atomic bomb kind of thing. Like sure. like that's a cool it was a huge change of his life. Um and then the last one, kind of like this like this thing that is like defunct and stripped of parts being compared to his self portrait, I think is 
quite sad if if this was intentional. Um, yeah. yeah, just something something that that is old and no longer useful, and that just doesn't work anymore. I don't know. Do you guys think that's a, a real thing, or is am I just making it up? I no, I, I do. I do think that's a real thing, and I think to speak specifically on the one of the alien and of ScarJo, I again, what what I really like about that is I think it's like it's drawing this uh, comparison between these two things as if to say like our idea of what is alien and like what is separate from us is not necessarily like fact and that's not necessarily objective and it's like we like we're probably like we we might be just like the things that we're con- we're considering alien and mm. there there are certain things that are normal and aren't normal and i th- i think that like like that's what it's getting at with that comparison i i really like that as well but yeah no i do i do think in general i, I think I think they are trying to link the pictures that are together. Here's a counter argument to my own point. Maybe it's not the similarities, <laughs> but the differences. Like, what if it's like for the first one is what I'm thinking of specifically is one is violence, bomb, and the other one is love, right? Or an attraction to this person, right? Um, alien versus human. And it can be both as well. It can be like that's why you sure. have it's compare and contrast, right? Um, and that can tie into the, the kids versus adults. The kids are aliens and weird little guys. And here's an adult mm-hmm. who is similar. There, there's similarities there, but they're also different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. another thing about, uh, ScarJo and, well, these, the scenes with the photographs are kind of the, maybe the central heart of the movie, the scenes between uh, Midge and Augie. Uh, and that's that's where they kind of talk about grief and maybe, uh, I hate the word trauma, but the fact that I just love that the, it's these two, in ScarJo's words, what is it? Catastroph- catastrophically wounded people who don't express the depth of their pain because they don't want to. That's what she yeah, said. Yeah, that's such a deep line, by the way. Like, that line yeah. goes hard, and they find they find connection, but also like a lack of connection because they're they're confining themselves to their own homes, mm-hmm. right? They're not actually yes. <laughs> interacting in the outside world. They're they're still hiding away, and in their hidden worlds, you know, one is one is in his red room where he develops photographs, and the other one is in the bathroom where she practices her lines. They're in their their art spaces, their private art spaces. And then they're finding ways to connect to each other so that they, they're not so lonely, right? They're both um, single, they, uh, either through divorce or death. Um, and yeah, they, they've been through some shit and they, kind of, I've, they feel like they have no one to relate to. And it's nice that they find each other. And I think, I think the ending uh, says maybe there's hope. Maybe there's hope for these two even though they're separated because she does give him her address, her post office, her post box or whatever. But Yeah, and I also think, uh, I think this movie created many, I think, uh, unlikely relationships. First one is between ScarJo and Augie. It's very obvious, you know, like photographer versus like Mitch Campbell, biggest actress in the, in the theater, in the, in the world of Asteroid City. 
And then we have Montana and Maya Hawk's school teacher. We have Tota Swindon and uh, the kids. You know, I think I think this movie uh, has a lot of these lovely, unlikely relationships happening and use really use these to explore. Like the the one between Augie and ScarJo is about trauma, and I guess like the one between Maya Hawks and Montana is more for comedy. But like the one between Tota Swindon and the kids is about childhood innocence and stuff like that. And I think it's just really cool how uh, that's been used as a device to explore deeper themes. Well, also, like you said, that the Maya Hawk and Montana things is for comedic relief. There's definitely meaning in that. And I think part of that maybe is finding ways to communicate with children and to talk about mm. things that you don't understand, right? How is she, like, taking them through this process when she doesn't even know? She's making yeah. it up as she goes along. And mm. also, like, that kind of... There's the young love element to that, but I, I do think it is more about how Montana and my Hawk's character, and I like how one is her character name and the other one is the actor. Um, yeah. they're, it's, June, it's June. less so much... Her name's June, I think. June, okay. So yeah. it's interesting that June and Montana, it's not so much about their relationship as it is how they have different approaches dealing children. with children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. trying to teach children, and that's why they find connection, is because they complement each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we can move on to uh, do we want to talk about why Augie burned his hand on the quickie grill well my opinion is that it doesn't matter like and so I don't like my, my, my take is that again like it doesn't it's tying into like the things that we've already been talking about where like we're trying to assign meaning to all these things but we don't necessarily know we don't know why we do all the things that we do we don't understand just like we don't understand the depths of the universe, we don't understand the depths of ourselves completely either. And we don't understand the depths of, if you're a writer, you don't understand the depths of the characters you write. If you're a photographer, you try, there's an element of control and there's an element of trying to frame the world in a certain way, but there's an element of you don't have control and there's an element of not understanding. And I, I think it is, it's a thing that happens and you can try to ascribe meaning to it, but I, I actually think what's important to it is just that well, well, I don't know. He did it, and we don't we don't necessarily know why. And I think what's more important is the way it ties into those greater themes than specifically why he might have done it. I do like the the line that Jason Schwartzman offers outside of the play of Asteroid City early on when he says that he wanted to give a reason why his heart his heart was beating so fast. And I think that's just a nice line. Um, but yeah, I I don't know if it's the most important question to ask, to be honest. So, are you saying, like, is this something that we're not supposed to understand? We're just supposed to be in the moment and live through that moment? Like, like you know, like, it's like the feeling that matters is not the understanding of why that matters? Like, is that I'm what you're saying? I'm saying what literally, like, literally the reason why did he do that in that mm-hmm. scene, I don't yeah. think is that important. Mm-hmm. I think that, like... I think what's more important is the fact that you don't necessarily know why he did it. And I think that that speaks to the broader themes of the mysteries of life and how as best as we try to plan things and order things using narrative and using science and using a variety of methods, mm-hmm. we can't order everything and even even with ourselves personally and with the people we see. That That's really cool. Yeah. I think it... 
highlights the conflict between the attempt to for for humans to find rationality in all things versus just the human emotional experience. So the actor who plays Augie is obsessed with finding the rational reason. Why did he do it? Looking for literal meaning. But I think if you watch it, watch the scene as it plays out, I think emotionally as human beings, most people can completely understand why he does it. And I don't think you need to vocalize why he's or like it's not like a literal literal like he's not trying to gain anything by doing it he was feeling sad is kind of all that there is right he was feeling sad he was feeling unsatisfied depressed i don't know like there's there's a gut instinct and understanding there's an instinctual understanding an emotional understanding of why he does it and there doesn't need to be a literal rational reason and what's so interesting is how effectively beats like that are communicated, considering the style that is so unempathetic in, in mm-hmm. that way, in the way that like we're, we are not invited into the character's emotional worlds. Like, I, I, I think that and I think that's like it speaks to like a sort of meta analysis of the film in general, where Wes Anderson's films are very orderly. That is like exactly what they are. They're trying to control every little detail. And I think that it's interesting. It's like. It's almost like an acknowledgement of, like, even Wes Anderson, who, like, would probably prides himself on having intricate control of everything that's happening, in fact does not have control of the very narrative he's spinning and of the characters' lives that are living. <laughs> like, char- like I, I don't think, like, like, this is maybe a little aside, but, like, characters don't come just from a writer. Like, it comes from everywhere. Like, when you're... When you're writing or when you're producing any sort of cultural text, it's not just coming from you. It's it's the assemblage of all the influences around you and everything else. And so I like, I I, I really I really like the juxtaposition there of very very emotional moments where we just, despite the movie like, really testing us to not understand it and really not like letting us get into these characters' worlds. Like we can't help but get into it. And I think that, like, it, it gives you this really nice self-reflective feeling as an audience member. And interesting that you said that, like, Wes Anderson's films are so orderly. And I think I think that's true. I think the aesthetic is looking for order. But I think he also is very aware of the chaotic nature of life. Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting is that juxtaposition that he then presents in his films is, here's this orderly world where, you know, things are symmetrical a lot of the time, yes, but the events are so chaotic, and maybe there's moments of chaos um, aesthetically as well, but it's, yeah, like, the the universe tends toward chaos, right? And so you can try to have this orderly world, but inevitably things will devolve into a mess. Um, you can't wake up until... No, you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. Is this another thing where there's no literal meaning? Is this is he testing us? I think that there is a certain level of it's like what we were saying where I think there's a certain level of it's just something you kind of intuitively like that feels like the kind of aphorism or phrase or whatever that you'd grow up with that would just like 
like, like you just kind of understand like one, one of like the idioms that you you've grown up knowing but have like you never thought of like the literal meaning but it just has a meaning um but then i also do think on some level on a basic level it might literally just be like we have all these characters that have been through really horrible things on some level it is just like you cannot see a new day you cannot be reborn and move on and change without at first going to sleep and I, I, you know, maybe going to sleep is going through a hard time. Like it's, it's a low, it's a moment of low consciousness. Whereas like you wake up and, and it's discovery. Maybe that's what it is. Like it's a mo like, cause discovery is this moment is a big theme of this. So maybe it's, you can't have these moments of either self-discovery or discovery of the world or, or whatever without first letting it stew or, or maybe taking a step back. Maybe that's what sleeping is, or maybe maybe sleeping is not even trying to it. Like it's just going into idle, like whatever it is, just trying to get by. So I, I, what I like about the phrase is that I think it's open enough that you can actually kind of assign a lot of what is within the movie to it. I think it's really cool uh, because like the, the way they presented this quote was from like a theater school setting. It's like a bunch of people in the casting room or of a theater school, something like that. I like, I, immediately linked it with sort of like the the cinematic and theatrical experience it's like you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep you can't interpret the world in a way that an artist does without enjoying art or like you can't interpret the world in a way that's influenced by art until you've seen and experienced art so experiencing art is sort of like the falling asleep and then the waking up is like you yourself after you experience art having a brand new perspective on the world uh, mm. is my interpretation of it. It's sure. interesting. I actually, in thinking about this, I did kind of touch upon both of yours. So I wrote down that is sleep relating to how sleep is like dreams? Because that's what the, the writer is looking for initially when he brings up this discussion of sleep is he's thinking of a dream sequence. And then mm. I was like, well, maybe it's a reference to movies and to Wes Anderson's kind of like idealized world where these you know it's the orderly world it's it's his aesthetic world that he's created in his movies um but i i do think i i found myself leaning more towards what aiden was getting at which is sleep is like a period of rejuvenation and rest and i think in a movie that is so concerned with grief and trying to like figure out life i think that kind of moment of rest is kind of what they're talking about. And it's, it's making me think of the two new things which I hadn't considered before. One, which is the importance of the ellipses, right? It's that pause. And also it's reminding me of a project that I worked on, like my own, one of my own films. And it was, it was an interview, Aiden, you were on this. It was the doc I made and I was interviewing someone and we, COVID came up in the discussion and he said um, that COVID provided a moment of breath and it was mm -hmm. like that time to take stock, take account and kind of figure out your life. And I'm again, this is making me think maybe Asteroid City is a post-COVID move. Well, obviously, it literally is a post-COVID yeah, sure. move. <laughs> but, maybe, yeah. but like, yeah, like the it was influenced by COVID. It was um, uh, inspired by COVID and the, the idea that Sometimes you need to find yourself in quarantine in this tiny little town 
to yeah. kind of figure out your life and to, yeah. I don't know. That's that's as good as I'll get. Gator, get your hands. No, I was just gonna say the ellipse like thing is really cool because like literally the the sun goes dark for like a second, a minute. Like there's a short period of time where like nothing, there's no light, and then there's sort of rebirth when the ellipse starts slowly fading away. No, you know, that's like an eclipse. That's Wait. an eclipse. Wait, oh what? God, what's an ellipse? Hold up. An, an ellipse is a made-up thing that, as far as I know, that they made up for the movie. An eclipse, that's when the moon passes in front of the sun. Or Whoa! Okay, okay. When the sun okay. passes in front of the moon. I don't know my science. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> and literally, all that, looks like, all that looks like is exactly what you would think. It's the moon with the sun behind it and so it's exactly it I, I, because sky. i've seen i've seen that actually in, in real life so but either way like I that thought, has to happen during the day because the sun is there <laughs> you need the sun for that to work oh you're right the ellipse the ellipses right. is as far Enormous. as i know is made up and it's just three little dots <laughs> okay, okay okay and maybe an extra green one anyways uh do we have any other thoughts or things we want to discuss no, I think I'm good. Have you said your piece? Oh, no. Uh, there's piece. one thing I want to say. Dang it, um, Peter's not said his piece. Fuck. Okay, yes. I, I thought the format of the film is actually really, really cool and interesting. Because, um, what do you mean? like, if you've just taken all the play parts of the film and shoved them into one piece, it's almost like Moonrise Kingdom. It's just like a, you know, an innocent... Or, like, most of his movies, actually. Like, it's like an innocent little story with, like pretty heavy beats like layered within and then uh comedy scattered throughout as well but the fact that he sort of we intercut between the play and brian cranston narrating the production of the play actually is a really effective way to tell the story because like we got some incredible background of some of the characters that's about to show up or like the what the actors are going through in real life when uh, their characters are sort of like acting on the, on the stage um and like of course with the writing of the play as well at the same time that actually like i almost really i think the 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 movie worked really well even though like when it comes to the narrative it's sort of a little scattered because like it's little pieces of the play that we're seeing um and then uh, sort of like cut off and interrupted by moments of the documentary and the tv program i thought it was really cool it's uh perhaps meta modern some might say if they subscribe <laughs> to that's that theory, I've thought about this. I still subscribe. haven't seen that video, but I'm very skeptical of that, and I don't think that's real. Well, you can't say it till you've watched it. Anyways, whether or not that's real, it's it's definitely in the trend of movies. Let's say, yeah. where movies are being more self-reflective and kind of while telling. Oh, shut up. <laughs> well, telling, yeah, I don't know on, if you, I buy that argument at all. Come on, there's so many movies where they're talking about the nature of filmmaking and storytelling while also like you can't deny that in the past sure, couple but of those years are, we've had so many of those. Yeah, there are some like Alex, those are not movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alex, those are those are postmodern ideas. Like what I'm saying is I don't think meta modern is a real no, okay, or different so, thing. No, I'm and saying whether No, but I'm okay, saying the postmodern era has existed since like the seventies. No, so I, I'm I saying know it's that. Not, I don't think it's yeah. new. Okay. Well I, what I'm saying is at some point, like 30 seconds ago, I said whether or not you actually subscribe to that idea, the 
self-reflective nature of movies that like that's come up in cinema quite a lot frequently recently sure, sure. whether but or not i would it's not post or meta i know you think it's postmodern no no no, no no but that, that's not even i'm also saying that i i do think that that's been a trend since at least the 90s of films that are very self-reflective okay. but whatever okay. okay and we have a segment we do have a segment. <laughs> so, uh, the, in case you haven't noticed, the podcast is called Predator vs. Movies. Uh, and we've done the movie part. Now it's time to get into the Predator. This is where we ask the question, would this movie be better if the Predator from the movie Predator was in it? Um, can I just say, and, but first of all, maybe. can I just say, first of all, this is probably the first movie we've talked about where it's almost as if someone had a movie and then said, what if we put Predator in this movie? That's what this movie feels like. Looks <laughs> like anything yeah. else we've talked about. Yeah, um, you could you could make it work. I think you can I mean, make dude, Predator just come backstage out. somewhere. Someone's putting out a Predator costume. There's already the one alien in it, and then there's there's one know. alien. Dude, Maybe imagine like, like the the, uh, the alien co- goes back. And, uh, you know, he brings the meteor back, right? And it's like the the egg, and then Predator comes out the egg. Oh. <laughs> Maybe there's like a council of aliens, and then there's a little cameo. And he's yeah, like, yeah. click, yeah. click, click, or whatever. What does the predator even sound like? I don't know. Um, he says, "Wacha." No, he doesn't make that sound. What? He doesn't make that sound. No. Well, in Wes Anderson Whoa, what's movies, that? what's that ASMR there? Aiden? In Wes Anderson movies, he goes, "Wow." The predator is Owen Wilson. He can be played by Owen Wilson. Peter, we have another segment that we do. We do. It's called Predator's Picks. What have you guys watched this past week? I, I always love when you just announce the title and just think that's enough. You're like, it's Predator's Picks. Well, I think what have you guys watched is enough explanation of what it is. Exactly, bro. Yeah. No, he, he added it in after, but there was a there was an ellipsis. <laughs> sure. Not to be confused. Sure. Not to be confused with uh, eclipse yeah. or nipples. Uh, Peter, have you been watching no, anything dude, get, get the fuck in, out of here. in the past month that we have uh, not had dude, on the show? Okay, okay. I have seen... Uh, I've been watching a show called Secret Invasion. And I think oh, it's... Oh, yes. Like, <laughs> oh, no. Um, okay. No, dude. It's, it's literally like last Wednesday. I, I didn't feel like prepping for the midterm. So I just sure. I just watched the show instead. Um, and uh, I think it's mid. I think... Uh, it's like it's like a little bit of spoiler but like it's literally like they're trying to they're trying to make you uh they're trying to put nick fury in a scenario where he's not his prime and like all his eyes are shutting him down so like he's really like alone and desperate but like i actually don't want to see that i know like plot wise that sounds really interesting but i want to see nick fury at his prime like predicting every move of the enemies and sometimes getting bested but only because like his sort of got outsmart instead of like he himself being at a low stage of his life. Like I think like the whole thing they're trying to play into, which is like this post uh, Thanos Nick Fury is like scared now. I really don't like it to be honest. Uh, mm. But the acting is great. Ben Mendelsohn is a real treat to watch, and uh, yeah, uh, same with Samuel. Samuel's great. I can't. Yeah, I can't speak to a show I haven't seen, but. What you're describing to me actually sounds more interesting than what you're proposing. The idea of really? Nick... Yeah. I mean, come on. A character who is on the back foot and 
not in their but, prime. But dude, that's badass what a good Nick Fury. Like, dude, is. Winter Soldier Nick Fury is so peak, in my opinion. Yeah, like, but like that's so not his good. movie. Well, anyways, I, I just yes. think I think the idea that like if you have movie where super spy is just super spying, mm-hmm. like there has to be a thing, right? And yeah. I think the idea of like here's a character who's been around for. Oh God, fifteen years maybe two thousand eight. Yeah, he's been. Yeah, actually, for I did the math really time. quick. He's been he's been around for that long, and yeah, shit has changed for him. You know, mm-hmm. now he's he thought he was on top of things, but now he realizes the the universe is so much bigger than he ever could have realized, and mm-hmm. he doesn't have superpowers, right? He just That's has true. normal spy things, and it's normal spy things in a world that is now part of a larger universe so conceptually i think that it's a cool idea for a show but uh i've heard execution is subpar uh yeah, Aiden... it's bad and well i'll, I'll say okay. one more thing though i'll say one more thing yep i just wish like i think you, what you're saying is absolutely i absolutely agree with you but i just wish they did some of that exploration in the movies as well because in the movies like he gave off a vibe of the same old nick fury but then all of a sudden once we entered the show it's sort of like, oh, you know, you're not the same anymore. Everyone's like, is telling him, it's like, oh, you're not the same anymore. You're not the same Nick Fury anymore. And it just felt like really sudden. And like, you know, the last time we saw him, he was in a space station being like, you know, just chilling. And it's like, I, that's, that's an issue of post-credit scenes. And just like the fact that's that someone true. who's, that, that too, who's that making too, the post-credit yeah. scene is not in tune with the people who are actually writing the show. And those things are yeah. several years apart. I just I think that's just a logistical issue with the idea of creating a cinematic universe that doesn't have a consistent like one storyteller. You're just gonna have that kind of issue. Will uh, Will you guys watch this show? No, not a chance. No, <laughs> there's a zero percent chance in watching. You missed. You probably didn't listen to our last episode, but I was like, I'm never like like I'm not on the MCU hype train anymore. I'm. That train has left the station, and I did not get on. Uh, okay. Yeah. Not Wait, for me anymore. Can I, do you guys mind if I do a quick spoiler? Go ahead. I don't care. Okay. Spoiler time. Peace, spoiler yeah, time for Secret in. Invasion. It's so funny. So during the press tour of the uh, Secret Invasion show, like Kobe Smulders was like, Maria Hill gets a really in-depth character development during the season. And... She never really got, like, a full, like, proper... Like, she's always been on the side, right? Like, she's, like... If Nick Fury is considered, like, a supporting character, he's, like... She's, like, supporting to the supporting character. And... Sure. Which, like, this comment of her made a lot of people interested because Maria Hill... Like, a lot of people like Maria Hill. And she's killed off in the first episode. <laughs> with, like, t- with, like, 10, 15 minutes of screen time and are she's you, dead. Are you sure it's not a scroll? Yeah, are we, I, I that's think the thing it's is, real. are we are we sure she's oh, dead, dead? Because oh, the Marvel universe has real. a tendency to not really kill people. I'm skeptical because I did hear about that. That is true, though. That's a good point. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Uh, anyways, I but yeah, but that was not enough. my predator's pick. That was not a pick. That's a that's a predator's pick. Oh, it's the anti pick. Yeah. We, we used no, to do it's this a predator's thing. mid. I don't I don't anti wreck it. I think it's fine. It's not bad. <laughs> No. <laughs> that's not well, so you we'll could go either way <laughs> exactly yeah yeah predators 
Predators, <laughs> predators crossroad. Predators intersect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your turn's over. Okay, Aiden, what have you been watching? Uh, so I've watched two movies since our last episode. One of them was a movie by Jean-Luc Godard called La Chinois. Uh, it was a very, very interesting movie. This was uh, of kind of a later era of Godard when he got very interested in social issues and uh, kind of like didactic sort of films. Um, and I think that this is definitely an example of that. I think that... Um, formalistically very very interesting um very funny uh in different parts and i think like maybe a little too heady in different parts but then i also i don't know if that's a fair criticism um i really really enjoyed this overall i think that there's kind of i i don't know how i don't know how effective certain parts of the movie are at like giving a sort of message and I don't know I don't know how effectively it explores all the themes but there are like there are some really really great parts I really love the the specific details that are focused on what is shown what isn't shown there's interestingly there's some very uh, Wes Anderson-esque trucking trucking in this movie and there's actually mm. a lot of I would actually I would not be surprised if this is a movie that Wes Anderson himself has has seen and thought, oh, I, I might film that way. It actually is kind of Wes anderson now I'm thinking about it. Uh, but all in <laughs> all, it was pretty good. Uh, I also watched a movie called Nanny, which was kind of like a horror thriller. Wait, go back. Somewhat Sorry, recently. go back. I'm interested. Uh, what, can, drew I, you, what drew you to La Chinois specifically? Of like, He's got a huge filmography, so I'm just curious why that one. It was recommended on Mubi. <laughs> I opened up there, movie as, as, I, as okay. I sometimes do, and it was recommended, and I hadn't heard of it, and so that was one of the reasons I did it as well. Um, yeah, that was a good movie. Other movie I watched was Nanny. Um, I will say I watched this. I watched this in some of the worst conditions you can. It was <laughs> on a TV with motion smoothing on and the volume mm. low. What and is so motion this is like, This is I'm not, a, not great. It's I'm a it's big when it makes a. Yeah, yeah, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it's when it makes um uh say something like things are standardly in twenty four frames per second, and it makes it look like it's a higher frame rate to make it look like there's less motion blur, um and it oh, just it look. makes it look like it's like a PS five game sometimes and it's so it's like a it's more of an accessibility thing, right? No, like, it's trying to make it look like, like more realistic or whatever. Oh, right? just, like, like reality it looks TV less cinematic. is filmed like that. Because part of the cinematic look is the motion blur that is inherent yeah. in filming things 24, 24 yeah. frames per second. Because when you... You know how when you take a photo and someone moves very quickly and it's blurry? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? That's <laughs> kind of like... Like that idea is sort of subtly in... Here, cinema Peter in movies. You ever gone to Best Buy? You ever gone to Best Buy or Staples? <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, bro. You, know how you look at you look you look at the TV and you see like the movie or TV the movie or TV show playing on the TVs and you're like that looks weird. It looks like fast. Yeah, and, right. Like, it's that's like, that's motion smoothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, motion okay. smoothing. I thought that's just four K UHD, bro. Because they. But anyway, well, it's also it also is the resolution too. Yeah, 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 it's the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that the He's thing right. where they literally add frames in the movie? Like they interpolate and like, oh, there's a frame. I don't know exactly how the technology frames. works. It's something like but, that. It's yeah. weird. I, I don't like it anyway. But I watched the movie. Um, hit or miss. On one hand, um, 
some really great exploration of its themes, specifically of sexism and racism and uh, like the treatment of migrant workers and like the intersection of all those things. So like on, on one hand, like really, really good exploration of themes, but some strange directing. I will say I didn't look into this, but I, it feels like a first time director or a not super experienced director with it. I'll say that. Um, I don't know if the movie is... I think the movie's lacking a little bit of focus. There are certain elements that feel like they should be more important and more present, uh, but they kind of get swept to the wayside um, through a variety of things. But I think performances are great, or a lot of the performances are great. I think there are some moments of, like, really great direction. Um, and so, all in all, I think I gave it, like, a three and a half stars, and I, I would stand by that. But there, there's some bizarreness if you watch this movie, and it's not just... It's not just, like, it's a bizarre movie. It's, like, missteps of directing, I think. But there's some great imagery, some great writing. Just some just some missteps here and there. Um, but I would recommend both those movies. I think they're both worth checking out. Cool. Uh, I've watched some movies this year. That was not helpful. Indiana... I'm trying to look something up because I watched the movie Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And as I was ah. trying to look up some information about this movie, I typed in Google search... Indiana, and that was it. Mm. And I got some information on the state, you got the state. which was yeah. really helpful <laughs> for what I was trying to look up. Um, nice. I'm looking up. Bah, bah, bah. Interesting. Okay, so I found out the information. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom sequel to Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Ark. Inexplicably, a prequel for the movie that came out only four years previous. Um, that movie is very racist. Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom, uh, yes. Just like, just like... Yeah, they like dialed a, up the racism factor on the A full sure. scene of like, look at all the weird... Actually, two scenes that the whole idea of the scene is, look at all the weirded things Indian people eat. And it's all like made up things that they definitely do not eat. Just just yeah. <laughs> racism rampant in this Yeah, there's movie. tons of... There's tons of Orientalism in the first one, and they saw that, and they were like, what if we did that times <laughs> ten in the second one? <laughs> and then, also, like, yeah, the girl character is not great. Just, like, the idea that <laughs> this, is, this is George Lucas and Spielberg both got divorced in the creation <laughs> or just yeah. prior to this movie. So this is their combined ener- divorced energy creating the most divorced movie ever, where just, like... Like man, they just don't like women in this movie, and so she's just like. Although Spielberg wound up getting married to that actress, which is what I was looking up. So he got married to the woman who was like the embodiment of women's, (laughs) (laughs) which is like like that's what the movie seems to be implying. Um, And yeah, her name is Willie, and the yeah. So I was looking up. This movie came out in '84, and they got married in '91. Very Mm. interesting. So. You know, hey. take from that what you will. Um, That's enough tea. Spilling <laughs> too much tea. Um, there's so many great sequences in that movie, despite it being terrible. Yeah. Um, there's the roller coaster, <laughs> just like like ending oh, yeah. with a roller coaster is such a wild choice. The bridge is fucking awesome too. The bridge, yes, the bridge yes, stuff. Yes. Yeah. The bridge is great. Uh, there's another one I can't remember. Just like like surprisingly thrilling bits. Oh, the the kind of rolly crushy thing is a good bit. Um, and oh, the opening is great. 
and oh, the opening the, the, is awesome. Yeah, yeah. When he's like, when he's like, nice try, Shaolay. Closes the door. And it's the logo, Shaolay. Like, like yeah. that's his, yeah. he owns the plane. Just like maybe one of the best visual gags in cinema ever. Just so smart. Very funny. Um, and short round is, I mean, he's awesome. He's he's awesome. He's such a great like kids in movies can be hit or miss, and yeah. he he hits in, it. In Temple of Doom, does Spielberg does like the Jaws thing again, right? Where you know the scene in Jaws where the kid is like mimicking his dad, and he's like, yes, it's very. They do that mimicking. in this movie too, don't they? Yeah, where it, the short round is like mimicking indie and different things. Yeah, there's like in several shots. There's well, there's the one that they also copy in as in Into the Spider Verse, where Indiana is like holding his fingers in a particular way, like in a pondering way, and then short round in the just slightly in the background, oh, is yeah, like yeah. looking at him and copies the fingers. But then later it's you know um, escalated and into fighting. Right, he's doing he's fighting in the same way. And I think the first time he's watching and the second time it's come naturally. He's learned and he doesn't even need to look anymore. Uh, super cute. And I mean, I know a lot of people kind of don't like this idea, but Kihi Kwan returning a short round. I have to say, I would dig that. I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> now, Lucasfilm being the creators of that, it would not go well. But Short Round is just, it's an awesome character. And Kihi Kwan is an awesome actor. I just, I think in the right hands, that is an sure. interesting idea. Uh, and it would be set sure. in the 70s. I don't even, there's something about Indiana Jones where it works better in the era it's originally set in. Like, I think Indiana Jones is a 30s and 40s character. So I, I don't, yeah. which is why I think, part of the reason why, uh, Crystal Skull set in the 50s is weird for most people and then the new one is set in the 60s hard to say but I think it has to do a lot with globalism I think and just kind of like cultural sure. attitudes and those change quite a bit the further you go from the originals anyways I've seen some other movies I watched I decided after watching Asteroid City that I wanted to watch most of Wes Anderson's filmography uh, before I watched it again for this pod so I went Back in time to the first one, went in order watching every single one as far as I could. And up until the point where I've seen all of them. That was my goal. Which means I've seen five. I've seen five in the past week. So I watched Bottle Rocket, the first one. Not great. It's it's a 3.5 for me. Um, just lacking in a lot of ways. Kind of a very simple indie story. Just guy falls in love and his friend is an idiot who wants to do crimes. Uh... But, I mean, there's some charm to it. Uh, watched Rushmore again. I really like this one. That's one of my favorites, I think. Uh, and it's it's grown on me. Um, Jason Schwartzman nails it as just, like, the most annoying, most insolent little kid. Uh, mm. And But, like, the, the love triangle with him and the teacher and Bill Murray is just so funny. And when, when he and Bill Murray have the falling out and they just start getting into a prank war with each other... Yeah, so that was so hilarious. <laughs> uh, I watched Royal Tenenbaums again. This is my Wes Anderson hot take. I don't care for Royal Tenenbaums. A lot of people say that is their favorite or second favorite or one of his best. Not for me. Uh, I don't. I'm, I don't know what my problem with it is. I don't. 
have the nostalgia factor, and I think that might play a lot into it, because uh, I didn't see this until very recently, like maybe a year ago for the first time. Um, and I just, I think for me, it's paced very strangely, um, where which is weird because Rushmore is paced so well. So like he's, I found that he figured out pacing and then he lost it for the next one. Um, that mm. being said, there's there's lots to love about it. Um, I like the characters and like there's this idea of all the characters are like child prodigies and it's several years later and they're all like super depressed and it's because these expectations were too high on them as children and Mm. life hit them I guess but it's all just undercut for me by the really weird incestuous relationship that's at the heart of the movie which is the two siblings one of them is adopted and it's one of those things where they think it's okay when adopted siblings are romantic partners. When they're like, mm-hmm. oh, it's okay that the brother falls in love with his adopted sister because they're not actually related. It's like, that's still so weird. They grew up together. That's yeah. really fucked. And it's it's so annoying to me because, um, what's his name? It's Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson's brother, who's one of the kids in the movie the adult who was a kid um he's super depressed and he has a great scene of being super depressed but the reason he's super depressed is because he's so in love with his adopted sister and so it just ruins <laughs> it for me because i'm like this is oh just fucked God. it's so weird um so yeah not for me the life aquatic with steve Sisu, one of the few i hadn't seen yet that one made me cry uh did not expect that because that one is not one of his most popular um but there's a moment near the end where it just it caught me uh and i i wasn't sure about it for most of the runtime um i don't think it's perfect i I think it's i think it well yeah no it's it's weird the emotion there's just like a really emotional sequence at the end and for the most part i was like this movie is has good elements but is kind of there's something off about it that i wasn't working for me but then, yeah, it just, like, the ending hit me. Um, and then today I watched the Darjeeling Limited. And that one is another one that people don't particularly like. And I was also just like, wow, this one's great. And I, I think All I right. think both of the, those things just kind of speak to Wes Anderson just being super consistent, I guess. Like, all of his movies are above three and a half stars for me, you know? Nice. So, like... Yeah, I think I think he's just super consistent and is in pretty in touch with like emotions and characters and yeah, so he's he's got a pretty strong filmography. I've now seen them all and I don't know. I don't have to anymore, but I might continue the trend and finish my rewatch of his filmography. I don't know. I've got some other rewatches to do, Indiana Jones maybe and Mission Impossible. So, we'll see. But those are my predators picks and this episode has run for too long. Next week, I have no idea what we're, we're going to do. Could do Indiana Jones if we wanted. Uh, we could. Alternatively, there is Joyride, which I believe comes out next week. We also oh, have yeah. lots of things that we didn't end up seeing. Oh, we, we could do No Hard Feelings, the comedy. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We could do any amount of things that have come out that we missed. Anyways, if you like us, check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Predator V Movies. Uh, yeah just do that um if you like my thoughts on movies check me out on letterboxd at underscore alice gordon underscore i finished the sentence this time 
Uh, and then you can also check me out on Letterboxd. I'm 810sunny. That's 810-S-O-N-N-Y. My name is Wombo. I also leave reviews sometimes. Peter, do you have anything to plug? No, I don't. Oh, what does shit. that mean? You know what that means. What that mean? It means you guys, you listeners at home, you folks at home, you got to leave a review. You got to leave a five-star review. You got to comment. You got to like. You got to share. You got to do whatever the hell you can to get this video everywhere. This podcast everywhere is what I mean. Uh, but that's, you're contractually obligated now, so go do it. You must. Go do it. Um, I heard the man. Please do it. That's how people see our show, is if it gets out there. So do that. Um, until next time, I'm Alex. I'm Peter. I'm Aiden. And this was Predator vs. Movies. Uh, we'll see you next week. Beep, 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 beep